Thank you for joining us for the final episode in this mini-series, courtesy of the Ohio State University's Women in Surgery Symposium. Dr. Kevin Pei talks about bullying and microaggressions and asks some difficult questions to a panel of women surgeons about their experiences. Our next speaker is Dr. Kevin Pei, who is an acute care surgeon and faculty at the Houston Methodist Hospital, where he serves as program director of the Surgical Critical Care Fellowship and co-director of the SICU. He is working to start the dialogue about bullying and incivility at the workplace amongst surgeons. I want to point out that the, the theme for today is he for she and she for she, and I just tweeted this, but inclusivity of women not only benefits women, but it benefits men. And I think that on top of all this, there should be a, a, a theme called she for he, because that's what happens when we facilitate women into positions of mentorship and sponsorships. Bullying and microaggressions is a huge topic to combine together, but I want to just give you a very brief um, introduction to it before um, what, it, what I find will be the really interesting part, which is the panelists. This has been a personal journey for me, and I think it's a personal journey for a lot of people in this audience. I have been, as a man, victim of bullying. I have, as a man, been victim of microaggressions. So I have this little snippet of what it means to be bullied and what it means to have been the victim of microaggression, but I cannot imagine what it's like to be a woman and have to deal with this day in and day out. The sad part about it is that all our culture of surgery has really been a safe haven for bullies and for microaggressors, and we have celebrated them. I just want to start with some really brief definitions. Microaggressions are death by a thousand cuts. They're minor, yet they're incredibly damaging. They're, and, and some of it is conscious, some of it might be unconscious, but the end result is that there are these little subtle snubs. What's in common about microaggressions and bullying is that they're on the spectrum of bad behavior. They really are. And, it, and, and in bullying, um, it's not that one time where you got really negative feedback in the operating room and it, didn't, and it hurt your feelings and it didn't feel well. That's not necessarily bullying, depending on the intention. But bullying has a very strict definition. It's repeated health-harming mistreatment, abusive conduct that is threatening, humiliating, intimidating. And you know what? It's targeted. It's targeted, and that's what's really sad about it all. And what do we know about this? Let me focus on bullying for just a little bit. We know very little. The Royal Society of Austro-Asian Societies actually surveyed their entire membership with phenomenal, like 98% response rate, and they found 47% of the surgeons were bullied and 68% witnessed bullying. You're probably not all that surprised here, these statistics, right? We didn't know that about the US. So Dr. Cocker and I looked at this. We basically, um, got about 800 respondents representing four academic surgical uh, societies, ranging from residents to senior faculty. And very similar to the Royal Society of Austral-Asians, we found about 40% experienced bullying and in excess of almost 60% um, experience or have, have witnessed bullying. And you might also not be surprised because of the power dynamics that's inherent to bullying that most of the bullies are immediate supervisors. And I want you all to focus on this, especially in the context of a women in surgery symposium. This is not a man to woman issue, right? Because we also find that women are also bullies. Make no mistake, men are by majority the bullies, but women also bully. So no shocker here ran tons of statistics, lots of logistic regression. The only thing, the only factor that came out associated with increased likelihood of being bullied is your gender being woman. For the people who mustered up enough, um, enough courage to report it, um, their complaint was not pursued by the receiving body. The behavior continued. There was retaliation for making a complaint. Why are we afraid to report residents and faculty alike? Is that we're worried about our future careers. 
because the people who may be bullying us are in positions of power, right? And if we piss them off, then our careers may be ruined later on. If you report something in a formal manner, introduces so much stress that you just go, you know what, not worth it. I'm gonna just, it's only five years residency. School's only four years. I'm just gonna grin and bear it. There are four real categories under microaggressions. And Matt, I'm gonna start with microassault. Microassault is that the classic, probably easy to identify, just overt racist comments, okay? Microinsults are those little snubs. And sometimes what's really sickening about microaggressions is they seem like backhanded compliments. In one phrase, you're sort of getting a compliment, but then also a microaggression at the same time, right? And the microinvalidation is this concept of invalidating um, and sort of neutralizing the experience that we all sitting here, whether we're marginalized groups, underrepresented groups or not, that our experience are the same. And so the more homework I did on this microaggressions idea, the more I became aware, right? These are true examples of things that I've heard Wow, I'm super impressed, said to, uh, uh, an attending said to a woman. You're the only girl in this program who can fire that stapler one-handed. We need to recruit more girls like you. I think you should consider breast surgery. It's a great lifestyle and really conducive to um, starting a family. I don't know about your place, but we are fair in our department. If a woman wants to work the same amount as a man, they'll get paid the same amount. This is my own, one of my own experiences. I was interviewing for residency, and a Caucasian woman, just the nicest person, and I think well-intentioned, said to me, you know, Kevin, I think you, you should come here because you're gonna fit great, fit in great, because our institution's right in the middle of Chinatown. It felt wrong. I didn't know it was called a microaggression. At the time, I was a medical student. I remember this incident, I know exactly that it was supposed to, supposed to be a compliment from the person who said this. I think it's great you can keep up with the boys. You'll, you're gonna do just fine. Because basically what it's saying is how boys perform is a barometer of excellence, right? How boys perform is what you all, as women, should aspire to. And boy, if you can, do, if you can be like one of the boys, you're gonna be just fine. I used to work for an institution where the only, the only way you can speak to a chair was through your division chief. The only way you were going to get promoted was through your division chief. The only way you were going to get an assignment was through your um, division chief. And the only way you can file a formal complaint about bad behavior was through your division chief. Well, let me ask you something. What happens if your division chief is the problem, right? What happens? And then somebody mentioned it during an earlier talk today about our locker room culture. What do we value in surgery? We value grit. And we have equated grit to what, what is the saying that we always tell, we always say, I heard this since I was a student and certainly in residency, never let them see you cry, right? Tough it out. It doesn't have to be that way. And there are institutions in the country that are leading this change. University of Washington and the University of New Mexico have explicit definitions of bullying in their um, faculty handbook. I actually called out to the administrators at these institutions because I was working on this whole project about what, what, the, what LCME medical schools um, think about bullying. And you'd be surprised that very few medical schools in the country have a specific policy about bullying. I cannot imagine how many medical schools have policies, policies against microaggressions. Anytime there's a power differential, one is potentially vulnerable to bullying, but certainly marginalized groups and underrepresented groups as well. No place is perfect. You hear that a lot, right? And that's the truth. No place is perfect, but boy, are you guys making headway on changing the culture of surgery. What you guys are doing, what we're doing here in these symposia, is that we're shining a light on it, not allowing it. So I'm very, very hopeful 
And I, I wanted to end on this, uh, my current boss, who, and also um, a, uh, somebody that, that I've looked up to since I was a medical student, um, Dr. Barbara Basswitz, who is a president, past president of the ACS, and she always says, um, take care of each other. Fall back to that community because that's where we start first. Surgery culture changes at tectonic plate speed, right? It just is slow. So if you think we're gonna have symp a, a few symposia, snap our fingers, and all of a sudden everything changes, it's not gonna happen, right? But what we do is we foundationally bolster everybody. Those people around us, those people who are vulnerable to microaggressions, those people who are vulnerable to workplace incivility and bullying, and we strengthen them as a community. I think that's a really good starting point. And I thank you all so much for the opportunity to speak. Hi, guys. So would you all mind maybe just um, quickly introducing who you are and you know, what your role at the institution is? I'm Kristen Huntoon, uh, PGY7, Chief of Neurosurgery. I'm Mary Delhoff. I'm a surgical oncologist. I'm an associate professor here at Ohio State. Hi, I'm Clara Lee. I'm a plastic and reconstructive surgeon. I'm an associate professor. Um, I'm also the director of our, our, our Women in Medicine and Science Committee here at OSU. I am Carmen Quatman. I'm in orthopedic trauma, uh, and I do a subspecialty uh, called geriatrics. The solution to workplace bullying at any level, stu um, students, residents attending, is at the institutional level. It is not the onus of the individual to try to solve that bullying problem, but here's the problem. So we're told to report, to report, to report. But how do you report this without hurting your career? The hard thing about these microaggressions is they're so micro in so many ways, right? So when you go report them, it feels to you, my, well, it may not feel to you minor, but it might have the appearance to others as a very minor thing. As we grow, it's a lot easier for us to help each other. So as we take leadership roles, our job now is to hold everyone to a higher standard. I used to think that like, well, you know, my mentor gets me, that's good enough, or like, you know, there's one person who really understands me and I, like, that's, that's a really strong connection. You gotta have multiple people because if that, if, if that person, if there's some issue with that person, you know, you're, you're not protected enough. So I think, I think even if things seem fine, actually when things seem fine, cultivate lots of relationships. I suspect I was picked to be on this panel because mm -hmm. some people have heard um, some of my story. And I don't know that I have a good answer to it either because I was scared to report and when I did, um, the word retaliation came out as the first thing of, well, I'd be happy to support you, but retaliation is possible. There's not a lot of good answers because the answer is not go to HR. Um, yeah. Even though that's what they tell you, that's not the right answer all the time. And I think that the support system matters, but what happens when your support system is the one that's maybe not standing up for you in that moment or doesn't know that it's going on or you're afraid? It's hard. <laughs> it, it was hard for me because I felt like the ugly duckling the whole time. And then I started to embrace this idea of being a unicorn, <laughs> that you can embrace your unique uh, contributions, but you can be the voice in the room for the other people that are experiencing it. And that's how it starts. Be the reframe. Be the person that stands up and says, that's not really how I saw it. We have responsibility to say something now when you observe something. I think earlier in my career, I mean, you're just protecting yourself, right? Like you're you're just get, finding your way and you're just trying to stay alive. And so I think I was less observant about what was happening. So I would observe something and maybe not, I, I would go home and think, why in the world would I have let some, that happen? I definitely feel way more responsibility 
when I see something. Basics is we have to be truthful about this. Can't pretend like it's not happening. It's not going to be helpful. And when someone says, you know, Kristen, did you see something? You just have to be like, well, yeah, we all do. It happens all the time and you guys don't do anything about it. I, are you going to do something about it this time? I, so thank you all so much for sharing that, especially Carmen, for that story. I think you've been a victim of bullying. I, if you have been a victim of bullying, and I think, and I want to talk about microaggressions a little bit, but it's so hard with microaggressions because what, what are you going to do? Like, are you going to write up a thousand cuts as reports, right? Bullying is a little bit more, um, it's easier to recognize, right? And if you are a victim of bullying, definitely don't do this alone because you need all these people around you. For the medical students in the, in the audience, I think that medical students are far more protected than, for example, residents and certainly faculty, especially junior faculty. They have this concept of an ombudsperson that they go to as a complete neutral party, um, values anonymity. I think institutions need to have faculty ombuds people that has nothing to do with the departments of surgery or whatever department you're in. Can we talk about microaggressions a little bit and say, since we're talking about reporting, right? How do you report microaggressions? What would you suggest? Or do you just go, let's pick our battles? I used to, I think before people were talking about this, be this person who was just like, let it go. Um, and now I consider myself like I'm playing tennis. So like if I get a little microaggression from someone, I don't like make a microaggression back to them, but I just make a comment that like it was recognized and that this is how I feel about it right away. Because otherwise, what ends up happening is it's like one mosquito bite, like I'll survive, right? But if you get tons of mosquito bites, maybe you'll go into anaphylaxis or something strange will happen, right? Like it's just like an overwhelming thing where then you are paralyzed, or you're not able to function how you are at your best. I find this one harder. I, I sometimes do pick my battles in this because the person you're interacting with, you're not going to make progress. And so I think a lot of us will evaluate what's going to happen if I point this out. Am I actually going to accomplish something and is it worth it? One of the defining characteristics of a microaggression is that it's generally unconscious on that person's part. Um, and therefore to do something about it, you essentially have to make a person aware mm. of something that they're not aware of and that's uncomfortable. I do have um, some trusted colleagues who, if I pointed something like that out, they would actually um, appreciate it. But I, most of the time, people in general, including me, don't like to be schooled <laughs> in, in yeah. their errors. I think it's a little bit easier to point out a microaggression when it's not happening to you. Yeah. Um, and so if there is an opportunity to make a light joke about it or a comment that can redirect it, it's, it's much easier. When it's about you and it's personal, it's, not, it's hard. But if it's something that you, can, if you witness and you can reframe it, or um, I think she wrote the word wake today about bystander, um, I think there's a lot of power in the bystander role that we have not adopted yet. And figuring out how we can empower people to, who are in the bystander role to address some of this is probably one of the best solutions we can have. Have any of you actually gotten formal bystander training? Because I haven't. They actually had one um, this week here. One of the books I read, um, Microaggression or Flat Out Bullying, is in some ways emotional terrorism. Um, mm. It's very overt when you come in with a black eye. It's very not obvious that that person that's cowering in the corner, not saying a word, doesn't participate, is struggling. They're not sharing you what, why it's really going on. It's not, it's not obvious. But if you're the bystander who's witnessing it and you choose to partake in it, all of a sudden they respected you. You just became an, not an ally anymore. You became 
an enemy. Yeah. Um, and it, vice versa. Sometimes the people who you thought might be your enemy can become the ally. Sometimes, in academic surgery, we say moving around is a red flag on your CV. Uh, don't do it, right? Because the next, per next job will go, well, why do you keep moving around, right? Well, when is, when is enough enough? And do you start saying culture at this place is not going to change in the timeline that's going to be acceptable to my own mental health and I need to move on? What do you all think about that? Um, to be able to take the lessons that you learned um, and start on a clean slate can be so powerful to your confidence. Um, I left with no confidence and came back with, I'm okay. And yeah. I've thrived. You will thrive so much better in a culture in which you're happy and rewarded. And so I think that the thing we should really think about is when you're interviewing and thinking about your next place, just observe, right, at dinner the night before. Yeah. How are they interacting with colleagues and um, during the day when you're there? I think we can probably start to feel, is this the, you know, am I in the South in an old boys club? And if I don't go shooting ducks with them, I'm going to be left out. <laughs> You know, ever since I was a resident, I had a phenomenal, phenomenal co-chief resident, a woman, one of technically gifted, just smart as can be, one of my best friends. And since we were residents, we were interns, she said to me, she goes, you know, she says, Kevin, it's not the men that are bothering me. Women are so mean to me. And it's women who are microaggressing and bullying women. Does that happen? Oh, that happens all the yeah. time. Women sometimes feel like if, if I were to say something to one of my male colleagues, like, you really effed that up when you did this. Like, they're going to be like, she's such a bitch. Like, why is she on me and riding, like, riding me so hard about this? Whereas when you're doing it to a female, it's just like, I want you to be better. I want you to be as good as you can be. Women um, idolize other women that are in, in leadership roles and want to emulate them. And so they may see characteristics of those women who are not acting in an ideal way and then think that they can only get promoted if they're that stern and that um, cutthroat. I think humans are maybe kind of awful to other humans, period, women and men. Mm. I think we probably don't realize how um, competitive men are with each other and are probably not so good to each other either. And there's actually, there's some research that just, I just saw some um, uh, abstracts that, um, they think that we're the same. It gets recognized more and we're called caddy and all these things, but I think it's probably that we're all just not so nice to each other. They shared in, in the orthopedic world um, a survey that went out, which was 50% women um, documented microaggression, bullying, and 50% of men. Um, so it doesn't speak to a female problem as much as a culture problem. I have had the experience where um, a woman, women surgeons from a generation before me, or especially two generations, who like really had it hard. Like we had it hard. But they really <laughs> had it hard. Um, being a little less sympathetic mm. to my whining, um, or thinking that I'm whining when I didn't think I was whining. But I don't necessarily think they're harder than that. Uh, Dr. Freischlag this morning talked about the queen bee syndrome, um, and the fact that women perhaps are not as nice to each other because they kind of want to be the queen of the hive. Thoughts about that in terms of what you've experienced? I think this will get better as there's more women. Then like when you're vying for leadership positions, it's just like men vying for leadership positions, there's still gonna be this competition, right? Like we're not gonna get rid of that. But I bet when there was only a handful of women, there was definitely probably, you pro the, your perception probably was there's only room for one of us. 
so I'm going to beat all you out. I would hope we all recognize there's room for more than one of us now. So I hope it gets better. Um, I want to thank the panelists for a wonderful discussion. Again, I have another 15 questions to ask, <laughs> but um, I, let's end on a positive note. You know, there are, po there are pockets, wonderful pockets, like Ohio State around the country. And so um, there are places that are progressive, culturally inclusive, um, who are supportive, who won't allow microaggressions and bullying to go on. We endeavor then to create that culture where, wherever it is that we land. Up. After the symposium, I caught up with Dr. Sabrina Noria, who started and planned the symposium for the past four years. I know this is your last year um, doing this. Who's going to be taking over for you next year? Um, I have asked uh, Dr. Courtney Collins and Dr. Kelly Hazley to really take it and run with it and make it what they will. This is the kind of stuff we need to be doing every year as our understanding of it evolves as well. This is not going to happen overnight. So it's a constant reminder, constantly trying to push the envelope. Because we, all of us, women, men, doesn't matter, are susceptible to being microaggressors. So how do we, how do we fix it? How do we learn? Hi, my name is Wang Chao. I'm from China, doing uh, lab research at Ohio State University Medical Center. I'm very inspired by seeing so many uh, female surgeons. After my graduation, I found I'm the only one female surgeon in my department. I believe there is also an unspoken sisterhood among female uh, in surgery uh, worldwide. Hi, I'm Kathleen. I'm a urology resident. This is my third year coming to the Women in Surgery Symposium. I actually came for the first time as a medical student, and it was really awesome to have this resource here. At that point, you know, getting inspired by people that were already in residency, people that were in their practice, and I've been really excited to come back every year. So I definitely recommend coming. Thank you for listening to this special mini-series. We want to thank the Ohio State University for allowing Wiser to bring their wonderful discussion to our podcast. And be sure to look to join in on their fifth annual Women in Surgery Symposium that will be held again this fall.